If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. In St. Louis, a beautiful October day here in the St. Louis area. It is 590 Baseball here on 590 of the Fan and 590thefan.com. Brian Hoffman, Jim Hewer. We have Bob Ramsey on the phone down in the Lake of the Ozarks. And guys, I know what the what the big story is today, obviously. But I have no idea which direction to take it. Because we have Cardinals Padres Game 3. First pitch scheduled for a little bit after 6 o'clock on ESPN. And based on what happened last night, we could go in a thousand different directions you had Cardinals lineup putting up nine runs 16 through the first two games last night they tied the franchise record for most postseason runs scored in a playoff game loss with uh, the 2004 game one against Boston coincidentally enough also an 11 to 9 loss and then you had the bullpen and you know for Mike Schilt you didn't get enough out of your starter you had probably a bit of a tired bullpen after game one because again you didn't get enough out of your starter and then you had a Padres offense that put it all together, and we saw, finally, when that happens, it's hard to get outs. <laughs> Bob, you can go first. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. The uh, what's, what's funny is, and we talk about it every year, but the, uh, the October tournament is just a different animal, and we've seen in these two games that what has gone on previously, meaning the regular season, has no relevance. I mean, just none. Um, the uh, the Cardinals' strength was pitching. Pitching's been bad. The Cardinals' weakness is hitting. Hitting's been off the charts. These are good numbers. For this would have been great for the old four team. Uh, they're, they're killing the ball. Um, the Padres come in with a, a vaunted offense. First day, nowhere. Second day. It bounces back. They played. They they their offense has had half of a great game, and the series is even. The uh, it's just uh, it's just so bizarre how what has gone on before doesn't mean a darn thing, and that's why you're right. What to predict today? I imagine. Um, I mean, look at the way you've hit. Why would you change the lineup now for the Cardinals? I don't think you would. And then. Um, can Jack Flaherty be great? That's that's the problem that um, uh, that the Cardinals are having. Can Jack Flaherty be great? As far as the Jack Flaherty question, something that's sticking in my mind, guys, in this whole situation is we always say, you know, good hitting, you know, is contagious. I think bad pitching is contagious, too, and that's what I fear with Jack Flaherty right now is nobody can get anybody out. Uh, you hope he can right the ship, but everybody that's gone out there has just struggled. It's been pulling teeth just to get outs and get in and out of jam after jam, and it caught up with them last night. Well, well Jim, can I interrupt for a yeah, second? Yeah, go ahead. Was, did you feel like the pitching other than Kim was bad game one? Well, I didn't. I'm not going to say it was bad, but they just kept finding ways to put more guys on base, and it wasn't the – that's the word. I, I guess it wasn't the, hey, one, two, three, boom, out. One, two, three, out. It was, yeah. there's a guy here, there's a guy there, and you're going, all it takes right. is one of these guys to just explode. That's that's what mm -hmm. I meant by, in terms of yep. game one, just, it wasn't an easy win in game one, I guess. Didn't They didn't dominate like we expected. Yeah. Is it possible to dominate like we expected, though? I think, Ooh. you know, we discussed the issues that the pitching has had in this series, and, you know, even as Jim mentioned in game one, now, the Padres were threatening until the bitter end of that game. Yeah. And even in the eighth inning, they had to tease up with two in scoring position in a two-run game. So you were teetering on on the edge, 
late in game one. But I, more so, I'm willing to give credit to just the Padres' offense than yep. I am to look at the Cardinals' pitching and bullpen and go, what happened? They're just, I think maybe three months of watching, and not just with the Cardinals. You know, the Cubs' offense was bad. The Brewers' offense was bad. The Reds' offense wasn't good, as illustrated by their series against Atlanta. Pittsburgh's yep. offense was terrible. I think we're just not conditioned Maybe to so. seeing really good offense. And we've seen it now from San probably Diego right. the last two nights, especially last night. You're probably right. We didn't get um, a reasonable litmus test on where the Cardinals stood because they didn't play against enough good teams. Um, and you look at the Twins and the White Sox, you know, the Twins handled the Cardinals. You know, uh, we saw some of the damage the White Sox could do, but – um, the National League part of their schedule was absolutely subpar, no doubt about it. The, the other side of this, and we kind of mentioned the, the good hitting, but was there anybody yelling at their TV in game one going, where was this all year? Because, I mean, there are guys hitting the ball the opposite way, we're finding holes, and I was just like, "This, where was this through the 60-game season? I mean, I was pleasantly surprised, but I was just – that flabbergasted me because I didn't think it was possible, especially it continued last night. I didn't think this offensive group was even capable of trying to score six, seven, eight runs in a, in a game, and they did it twice. Yeah, you know, it's funny, um, uh, Carpenter and Fowler playing like, um, like they were a number of years ago. Um, you know, Goldschmidt uh, is tremendous. You expect that. We're finally seeing how – a locked-in Dylan Carlson. We look at the uh, these last few games, um, really the last few games before this uh, of the regular season, I, sh- I should say. And Carlson is, um, uh, we're starting to get that feeling back about him that we had last spring, last March. And um, he, I don't know if he's a, a future cleanup hitter, but he certainly belongs in the top half of of, of any Cardinal lineup moving forward. And um, he really looks the part, and he's getting the results. And then it's great to see uh, uh, the grand old man of the game, Yadier Molina, playing great. Um, you're just getting those kinds of things. And, yeah, for for whatever reasons, and there are probably myriad reasons, that we, we didn't see the, this kind of offense in the two-month regular season. Cardinals and Padres later on tonight, 6 o'clock. It'll be Jack Flaherty against, we don't know yet. The Padres, by all indications, will be doing a bullpen start, but their pen has been exhausted, really, to this point. Third straight day uh, of playing games, and they haven't even yet announced who will be appearing. They had to use one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different guys appeared out of the bullpen for the Padres last night for Jack Flaherty. I think a year that not many people expected, both for him, on and off the field. He had a, a two-week break where he couldn't throw, and I, I think he still hasn't quite yet found his groove since then against teams not named the Pittsburgh Pirates. He posted an ERA of 6.26 <laughs> in 2020, but against the San Diego Padres, and he faced them last year, but it was before Jack was Jack. Even with that, in his career against the Padres, 16 in the third innings pitched, two earned run earned runs with 16 strikeouts. It's a 1.10 ERA, what is your confidence level as we uh, have Game 3 tonight in Jack Flaherty against what was uh, what has been a, a very good Padres offense? He's so dedicated. He's so uh, focused. Um, if he can find the magical, uh, air quotes, groove, if he can find that and have his command, I expect him to be very competitive. But we've seen him get knocked out of the box early in a number of games this year. Um, but I do have confidence. I think um, in the off season, no matter what happens today, if anybody asks you, you, you uh, Brian and Jim, who's the Cardinals' best pitcher? I'd be shocked if either one of you didn't say Jack Flaherty. Am I right? Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Right. So you got your best pitcher going in an elimination game. That's um, – you know, we'll see who he is. We'll see if he can um, uh, be that competitive guy that we saw almost every start last year. I am confident that we are going to get a mentally tough pitcher 
on the mound. I no doubt about that. It's the biggest game of the year. It's an elimination game. I'm just leery of what I just spoke of earlier is the, eh, the rocky pitching. It just kind of oozes out and it, it affects everyone. Uh-huh. I don't like to use this as an excuse, but I think part of what affects whether Flaherty is really good tonight or if he kind of goes through six and gives up three, it might be how, how the game's called behind the plate. There's been a yeah, lot of guys that, you know, yeah. he's not getting a call, then they are getting a call. It varies from game to game, at least for me in watching the games across the board. It's like you're never sure what you're going to get. And I thought yesterday the Cardinal game, I mean, it's 11-9, to 9, and in the end it didn't really matter. I thought it was really inconsistent, though. Yeah, and I think that, that may be the biggest factor of this for a guy like Flaherty because if he's getting yeah. that outside corner – and he's okay. on, you know he can put it wherever he wants. Um, so there's that part of it. The other side of this that scares me is the Padres are a confident bunch again. They are they're they got the swag back, if you will. Uh I'll go back to last night, which I think the turning point there was a lot of moments, right? But for me, last night the turning point was Cabrera walking the t- first two batters. Getting yep. the tongue lashing from Yachty. Uh, I mean, Yachty was just animate when he went out there and he just laid into him. Mm-hmm. They give up the home run. But when Cabrera, or I'm not sorry, Cabrera, but uh, Gallegos came in and they had a bat with Machado. And Machado just kept shaking his head after that fastball mm-hmm. outside going, uh-uh, uh-uh, you, you ain't fooling me. And then remember Gallegos kept, kept going back to that card? Twice before he yep. threw the pitch, I went, that is not a good sign. He's confused. He and I think Yachty could tell, and he was not, you know, Yachty's so big on not giving out that bad body language, but I think he knew they were in trouble before he threw that pitch, and then it was crushed, and it was all, it was game over after that. That was the pivot point of the game. I agree entirely. It, legitimately curious what they do then tonight, barring a, a masterpiece from Flaherty, which would be, you know, eight innings, if not more, right? how they handle the bullpen. And if you look at your relievers, you probably have faith in Reyes, who looked good in game one. You might have some faith in Miller. I think you have faith in Helsley. Yep. I don't know after that. Gallegos did not look good last night, and he looked like the Padres had a read on him. Yes. Hennessy seems to be kind of breaking down a little bit control-wise. And after that, I think it's just a coin flip as to what you're going to get from each guy going up. And not so much what they're going to offer, but how the Padres are going to respond to them. I think you you go back to Austin Gomber if you need him in a moment, Um, uh, especially uh, against somebody like uh, Hosmer. Um, You know, uh, if if somehow, uh, this would be a tough scenario, but it's, you need multiple innings and you're still in the game, then I would say, uh, I would say Gomber um, might affect what you do in the next round. But obviously, obviously you can't worry about that. No, you got to play to win. I think if I'm Mike Schilt, I'm thinking, get me through seven with a lead. And I got Alex Reyes for two innings. That's the way I got to look at it Uh, with all, you know, everybody throwing, back-to-back days, and so on and so forth. And he might just have to say, because he didn't use them last night. And winner take all, everything on the line. You just go, Alex, I got a lead. Uh, my, whoever is spent after seven, you got two innings. Get it done. Yeah, and I, I think um, I think Brian hit it on it. If you're setting up your staff for tonight, um, you know, Helsley only threw four pitches. Um Miller didn't throw, and you mentioned Reyes, he didn't throw. Those got to be your guys, and we like all three of them. And then, and then, a, and I, as I said, I'd add a fourth Gomber. So, can Jack get me six innings? Heck, if you're close or even ahead after five, and he's, you know, let's say, forget what the score is. Let's just say the score is close through five, and Jack's throwing a bunch of pitches and particularly stressful pitches, and you've got the six, seven, eight, nine. Well, you got four guys that you feel like it's their turn tonight. That, you know, that's well, worst case, of course, is you get blown out early. 
But in a competitive worst case, I think you're looking at that, you know, um, and then maybe Jack gives you more. Maybe you're competitive, you know, within a run or two, up or down, into the seventh plus. Then, then you can mix and match the last three, four, five, six outs with those four guys. So, I mean, obviously, any any anybody talking about any game says if you're if you're if you're in the game, you get the seven innings. You're if you got a decent bullpen, you're in pretty good shape. You know, if it's but if it's a of four innings and he can't go anymore, that's where I start to get nervous, and that's probably where Gomber has got to give you two or three, and hopefully you're still in the game. I think you touched on on an interesting scenario that they're probably going to face tonight, which is fifth or sixth inning, bottom half of the lineup is coming up for San Diego. Say it's you know the number six hitter, however which way they, they put their lineup. <laughs> I think you almost, in that scenario, if it's close – you have to remove Flaherty because I don't think you can risk. I swear to God, Rammer, I told Frank this last hour, and I think you can agree with me. It felt like Tatis Jr. batted nine times last night, each time with men on. And I think the goal for tonight's game, you know you have to face uh, Tatis Jr. and Machado at least eight times total tonight. Um, and you hope it's fewer, and you really hope it's not more. And I think your goal has to be, say the number is eight, no more than two times can they bat with men on total. Whereas if you're facing a situation where Tatis Jr. and Machado have four or more or even three or more at-bats with men on base, you're probably losing the game. Well, you know, um, yeah, and it's not easy with Nola no. and Cronenworth at the bottom and Will Myers. Will Myers would hit cleanup for the Cardinals. Yes, yes, and, very true. And, it's that's how good their lineup can be or what, what they think of the production of their lineup. They can really lengthen it and stretch it out. And uh, uh, can you do that? Yeah. Should you do that? Yeah. In fact, you better do uh, what you're saying. Um, otherwise you're asking for real, real trouble. And you know, it's the difference now to go to a, a bigger topic that, we can bat around all uh, winter long is think if you had the pitcher go in there and it gives you theoretically a breather before you get to the top. Isn't the, it, it totally changes your scenario. Am I right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. True. Agree with you on that one. It's... And, and, and so there's the difference in the game, but I think the casual fan, maybe even the average fan, and then the people that just tune in in October which, God love them, there's no rules, like what you like, they're probably liking 11 to 9. Ooh, yeah, I think, uh, I think we're headed the, that You know way. what I'm saying? Yeah. The casual fan uh, and, the, and the, you know, the just tune in an October fan, they'd rather have <laughs> 11 to 9. Yes. So, um, well, I, you know, the, the DH isn't going anywhere. I, I agree with that. I, I think I saw... Ken Rosenthal, by the way, tweet out, was it 38% now? Either of a walk, home run, or a strikeout in the playoffs? Yes. Which is even higher than it was in the regular season? You know, I, I, I think you can go a lot of different ways with that number. And I think they tend, a lot of people, you know what, I'll pull a rammer here. A lot of old school people <laughs> tend to look at that and say, and they look at the offense and they blame the hitters. And they say, no, the hitters are bad. They're not they're not disciplined enough. They're not professional enough. What happened to going the other way? Or what happened to plugging the gap? I'm going a different way. I don't think pitching has ever been as good as it is in this era. And, and I bring that up because who was the reliever for the White Sox yesterday who went down with an injury? And I need to get his name real quick um, on the box score. He, le he left with an injury. His name was uh, Crochet. He, someone posted the red flag was him throwing 97. And that's because it was a decrease in velocity. And we I saw your Twitter. And if we live in that. an era where throwing 96, 97 is a red flag because that's too low, then we are in an era of unprecedented pitching. And I think a lot of times people forget that. And because of that, suddenly, because the pitching is so good, you have to aim high with your at-bats. You can't expect three straight hits to drive in a run. You have to almost plan for one for one. Well, I, the problem is is planning for that. Um, 
You know, but I, here's where I, how I'll go up part way down the, that road with you. And that is what has changed the running game. The announcers keep talking about, you know, the running game and getting guys in motion and all that is really good, but you cannot afford to be thrown out on the bases. That's what's changed. And just strictly with stolen bases used to be when I was a kid, if you were successful two thirds of the time, that was good enough, but now you got to be successful. I think 80% of the time, if you can't get that base eight out of 10 times, you're hurting. Now I'm playing, taking your role. You're hurting your percentages of scoring because there's so much power in the game. Now we could argue that specifically for the Cardinals with no power, it does change, but overall for the game, you're uh, when you give away outs with runners on, you're negating the opportunity to use that power. Yeah, there was a time, and I'm trying to find the numbers here, but the great year that Lonnie Smith had at leadoff in 1982 for the Cardinals, he stole 76 bases. I think he got thrown out like 23, 24 times. That would be totally unacceptable in, in today's game. Yeah, you, it, it just it just wouldn't make sense because of the opportunities you're giving up for your 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 big boys to drive them in. That's exactly right. Again, the Cardinals are an aberration to that, but over the but if you look over all thirty teams, that's absolutely the case. I, I one takeaway that I got a kick out of is the interview with Mike Schilt last night on the broadcast, and I forget how the question was worded, but it was something about you know you got guys that can move and run and do this, and Mike just goes, "Yeah, we like to play the game." Just like, yeah, <laughs> and I'm just like, good for you, Mike. He's like, yeah, we like to play the game. So I think this team is confident uh, going through all the stuff that took place on the Zoom call. They're like, yeah, we're ready to go. We have them used every pitcher in their bullpen. We know what they all do. We're They're not afraid of going into tonight's game. I, From that standpoint, I thought that was interesting. And then just to hear Mike just flat out on the interview, yeah, we like to play the game. We're here to win. Well, before we run out of time, as we look forward to tonight, guys, can you imagine winning the Cardinals winning scoring less than five runs? Nope. No, I think no. Like five was the magic number during the season because of the depressed offenses you faced. This is five or more, like six, six or more, probably for for tonight. I'm there. Yeah, with I you. would. I, I think if you were going to set a number, what do they have to have to win? I'd set it at five and a half, and I bet most people would take the over. Yes. Even with your ace going. Yeah, I think it, if they're going to win, I think it's going to be like a 7-6 game. I really do. I think yeah. there's going to be a lot of runs. Real quick before we uh, let Rammer go, we have another big weekend at uh, Ballparks National down at the Lake of the Ozarks. One of the things that you know, you're looking for beyond this year is is offense, an improved offense from somewhere. And obviously maybe next Friday we can get into it a little bit more. But one really encouraging thing this series has been the play of Dylan Carlson, especially at the plate. Yeah. And the scouting report, I'm not going to pretend and say that I watched him in the minors. I didn't, but I read a lot about him as he was, you know, rising through the ranks, and especially when he was being rumored as a, as a call-up for the club. And the one thing he always read was his exceptional eye at the plate. And I think more so than any other stretch, we have seen that through these two games. Four walks already through two games in this series and only two strikeouts. He's, and when his bat comes around he'll be a really special player and that's why I think that with his offensive skill set he looks to me like a two three hitter um in in the future with um because of his ability and his uh, not only the ability but the interest in drawing a walk and not expanding his zone um to me that's a two three guy which means the Cardinals need a number four hitter because Goldschmidt's the same way. If you got a leadoff man and then Carlson and then Goldschmidt, and they're always on base, you know, that 400, 400 plus on base percentage, that's when you need uh, a more traditional four or five guy or guys, I should say. That's how you, that's the way you build a championship offensive lineup. Um, I think, and look what the, you know, you look at the Padres, uh, Tatis Machado, and then a more traditional guy like Hosmer hitting cleanup. I think that's what you got to strive for. And as good as Edmund was last year, he's not as good this year. That's okay. We didn't know what we had really. And I think most of us expect, expected him to sort of level off a little bit. But if you went 
you know, if you went Wong, Carlson, Goldschmidt, and a real cleanup hitter, now you've got the makings of a, a deep and longer lineup because Edmund and DeYoung and others are now, you know, six, seven, eight down in those slots, and you've got a long lineup like the Padres. But you need another guy. Yeah, they would, if they had another guy, you're right. That'd be, and I think hopefully that's what they'll think about in the off season. Uh, I hate to use this term because it's overused, but I think w- when it's said and done, we're going to say Dylan Carlson, professional hitter. Yes, he's going to work counts. He's going to, you know, to what you guys just spoke of. But I think he'll he'll have some power with that. But I I just see as he gets more and more comfortable, he's not chasing the bad stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's a small sample size, but you see that in him. And I think uh, it's going to be what we think he was going to be in time. Just give it time. Uh, before we let Rammer go, Rammer, oh, did you have one more thing to add? No, no, go ahead. Okay. What's your prediction tonight? Cardinals, Padres, first pitch, 6 p.m., last pitch, we don't know. It could be a five-hour game for all we know. What's your <laughs> prediction for this evening's game three? Cardinals win. Uh, Flaherty gives you five really strong but throws a lot of pitches. And you use the four guys we identified and win the game 5-4. All right. Viewer, what you got? I'm still going 7-6. I think he's going to give up uh, about three runs and only go five. And it's a free-for-all late in the game, and they find a way. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, see if this guy can get us through an inning. See if that guy can get us through an inning. And it'll be the same thing for the Padres from inning number one. So I think this is going to be a long game, uh, regardless time-wise. And I think the Cardinals just find a way to get one extra run and get the final three outs. It just, it does seem like tonight's one of those games like last night where the second half will be a lot longer than the first half. Mm-hmm. This, this oh, will yeah. be a long second act, I feel like, tonight. So be grateful that the, that the Dodgers won last night and that this game's not starting at 9 because we would be... We'd be up till one in the morning tonight if if the Brewers had found a way to to squeeze one in, in Los Angeles. Rammer, before we let you go, tell us about our friends at Royal Banks. Royal Banks of Missouri, always working to help folks achieve their financial goals in good times and in bad. And trying to get through um, everything that is happening um, uh, right now, uh, there are still funds available. You know, these COVID-19 um, uh, opportunities that the feds are giving the, the, those related programs, there are still federal funds available. If you have a small business and you're still looking, or you've gone to uh, someone else, uh, uh, another, uh, some other bank or financial institution and really didn't get the answers you wanted, um, go to Royal banks. I know personally um, that they have been on top of the ever changing Uh, federal rules and regulations, but I'm told there are still funds available from back from a few months ago. Call 314-212-1500. Talk to a banker from Royal Banks of Missouri, and they'll walk you through and help you find the financial product you need to be successful. Royal Banks, where better service means better banking. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. That's uh, Bob Ramsey. Rammer, thank you for joining us. Big uh, big doings at Ballparks National this weekend. Yeah, we got a good weekend. Uh, the kitchen is open. I was the first one to have a cup of coffee from our new coffee machine. Mm. Actually, I had a cup of coffee and some hot chocolate. Oh, and oh, oh. Uh, I, think, I think Taste Tester is probably the only job I'm really qualified for. <laughs> and uh, so I hope to um, have uh, burgers, brats, dogs, and everything else on the menu before the day is over. They'll have to pump my stomach. No, the kitchen's <laughs> open. We're, we're going to have a, a nice weekend. And um, if you've got teams, boys or girls, that are looking for games, we've still got events coming up the rest of October. Come see us at the Lake of the Ozarks. Rammer, thanks for joining us. Good luck this weekend. See you guys. All right. That's uh, Bob Ramsey down at the Lake of the Ozarks. Another big weekend taking place at Ballparks National Gym. Uh, during that segment, I was just kind of scrolling through and looking at you know, the Cardinals roster and, and numbers and, and such, and one oddity, and it's and it's odd because it, this is a result of a really weird year, and kind of a dumb year when you think about it. Um, yes, there's a lot of that. And maybe also a bit on, in regards to roster construction, it's possible that the co-leaders in home runs, and it kind of makes sense, won't receive an at-bat in this series. That's Brad Miller and Tyler O'Neill. Each hit seven. 
and they've yet to receive an at bat. Right. And they may not tonight, depending on on how things develop. And I can't necessarily blame Schilt, but at the same time, that's an oddity I'm not sure we'll ever see again. I can't imagine that ever. You're right. Uh, regardless, I mean, uh, unless there was injury, injury, yes. But in terms of available players, yeah, they haven't seen that bat, and there hasn't been a moment where you thought, you know, this is where you need Miller or this is where you need O'Neill, because in the back of your mind, you're thinking they're not that much better than what you got out there now. That is true. <laughs> that the range of difference is so minuscule. You're like, yeah. Can I change? And here's a the thing with Bader, even though he did botch one on game one. Well, when you're thinking of lifting him, you're going, okay, then what's the alternative in my defense right now later in the game? Do I want to sacrifice that? Uh, do I want to put Edmund, move him to the outfield if I have to, and take Bader out of the lineup if we have a one-run lead? That That's always right there. Even though I know there's a 90% chance Bader's going to strike out here. <laughs> I mean, it. there is that conversation. You're right. And the fact that Miller hasn't even sniffed in at bat yet yeah. uh we talked a little bit in the last show with frank about possibly getting him in the lineup i'd love to see it but the reality is can you afford to sacrifice defensively to get him in the lineup at this point we've seen in this series especially from the san diego side if you uh, one mistake opens the door for somebody immediately uh, whether it's bad base running or something that they, you know, they're a young team and they've made a few mistakes in this series, especially with the base running. Can you afford that if you're a Cardinal team where we already know the margin for error is really thin with this team, especially, uh, you know, when it comes to they haven't scored a lot of runs. They have in these two games, but over the course of this season, you take every chance and you cherish it and you make every play you can because if you give the other team an extra out, and it leads to two or three runs, the chance of this baseball team overcoming that is not very good. That's Jim here. I'm Brian Hoffman. We were joined by Bob Ramsey uh, for the first segment of 590 Baseball. Cardinals, Padres, the decisive game three tonight. Uh, the winner gets the pleasure of going to Arlington to face the Los Angeles Dodgers, who completed their sweep of the Brewers last night in L.A. When uh, We'll take a short time out. When we come back, we'll take a look around the rest of Major League Baseball. The Cardinals and uh, the Padres are one of eight wild card series that uh, have taken place six of which are finished there's a seventh one in which game two uh that first pitch is in about 25 minutes it comes in the marlins so we'll take a look around major league baseball on the other side this is 590 baseball on 590 the fan and 590thefan.com Twelve thirty-eight in St. Louis. It is the second segment of Five Ninety Baseball here on Five Ninety The Fan and Five Ninety The Fan.com. Brian Hoffman and Jim Hero will take you until one o'clock. At which point the Cam Jansen Extravaganza live from Top Shooters will begin. The Andy Strickland Show called Hockey Sense will be at three o'clock. And what time is Biff and Iggy? Five to six. Five to six. Yep. Will be Biff and Show with uh, Ken Stroud and and Biff. But uh, Jim. We're talking baseball here on this show. Bob Ramsey joined us last segment. We pretty much dissected uh, just about every angle with the Cardinals and the Padres, or Game 3, first pitch. Scheduled for a little bit after 6 o'clock on ESPN. Jack Flaherty against, um, well, we'll see. TBD. Staff. Yeah, against bullpen. <laughs> we'll see what uh, <laughs> what the Padres have in store because they had to burn through a lot of their pen. Uh, the Cardinals, one of two series to go, three games. And possibly a third one. The Cubs and the Marlins, their game two was washed out yesterday. So their second game is scheduled to start at about 1 o'clock. They might have a game three tomorrow. But throughout Major League Baseball, Jim, the story to, for me, and it's kind of dumb, but I am <laughs> unbelievably fascinated by the Twins' 18-game postseason losing streak. Isn't that amazing? Since game, uh, starting with game two of the 2004 American League Division Series, the Twins have lost 18 straight postseason games. And it reached a point, other than the Cardinals and the Padres, those two games were probably from wire to wire the most I watched. Only because I felt the Twins might lose this game, and if they do, it's going to be amazing. Because both games, they should have won. And somehow they found a way against a below 500 opponent, against a team that had, I think, the worst road record in baseball. They found a way to lose both 
games to Houston. I, when the Cardinals played the Twins, and that was right before everything went haywire, I went, wow, this Twins team, they may be unbeatable. I mean, they were crushing the baseball. You knew they could pitch it. They could catch it. In fact, I think during the regular season, they had among the fewest errors in the game. And then, as you pointed out, watching game one on Tuesday, I believe it was, it's a 1-1 affair. And then in the top of the ninth, one error. One error by the shortstop. Polanco. On a routine play. Yep. Cost them an opportunity to get out of that inning. Romo's on the hill. Then he can't get anybody out. And it just spirals out of control from there. And that's where their season turned. And I was just like, wow, how terrible is it for the Twins? And then I didn't realize until after that loss, they start putting up the numbers. They've lost this many consecutive games. I went, you talk about futile being a Twins fan. Because they've had some pretty good teams recently. Now, they always get bit by the Yankees, unfortunately. That's been part of the problem. But still, you think... You'd win one in there, right? You just by showing up, you'd get one win. But eighteen is it now? It's it's up to. That's just that's painful uh, for the Twins, and they've got it. They've had a very good team this year. They've last couple of years. You have to give them credit. They've gone out and they've acquired talent as opposed to trying selling it off. And they were right there, but it was the one air, and it was it was painful to watch that just spiral out of control for the Twins. And then they get beat again yesterday, uh, unable to score runs on what is a potent lineup, and they just couldn't get it done. And then they just had some throughout that stretch. I was going through some of their games that they that they lost. You know, game two of that AL division series. After they won game one, they had the lead in the twelfth inning. They lost. They had the lead in game two in two thousand nine against the Yankees. They lost. Couldn't close it out. In, in a game against the Athletics, they tied the game. Entering the seventh inning, came back 2-2. Torrey Hunter dies and misses the ball, and that leads to the go-ahead inside the park home run. And if you just let the ball drop in front of them, you know, who knows what happens. Maybe they get out of it, or maybe at least they're only down by by one run. But that was with two outs in that inning with the runner on first. So if he just lets the ball drop, you know, two on, two outs, not a great situation, but you're still tied. But the ball gets past them, and, and the game-winning run scores. Game three against the Yankees. Last year, they had, at one point, the bases loaded no outs, and they couldn't score. And then it just went downhill from there. This year, the Astros, this is amazing. The Astros, on August 19th and August 20th, they won back-to-back games at Colorado. That was the last time up until these two games where Houston won consecutive games on the road. Jim, they had lost 17 of 21 road games between those two games in Colorado and the two games this week in Minneapolis. And somehow the Twins could not turn that into one win. That's, I don't think we'll ever see something like this again. No, it's that is it's improbable. The, the more numbers you put up there, the more painful oh it gets God. if you're a Twins fan. Uh, I just in game one, as that game was playing itself out, the storyline was. Look how awful these uh, numbers are for Houston this year since they haven't been able to cheat, right? Which they kept bringing those up on ESPN but never actually made the the legit connection of, well, they didn't know what was coming. Right. It's just, oh, look, compared this year to last year. Wow, look at all two of these numbers. They dropped. Yeah. yeah. They never actually that? said trash can or anything to right. do with that. Uh, so as it's playing itself out, you're just going, yeah, get them, twins. They deserve it. They deserve it. And then the air uh, just opened the floodgates, and it was downhill after that. Yeah, it's just painful uh, for the Twins. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious what most fans are thinking, by the way, with this game this afternoon. I'll be honest, I haven't watched a lot of Marlins this year, so I'm not really familiar with a lot of what's going on. I know they have Alcantara, and they get this kid, Sixto, going today, Sanchez, who could just shut the door on the Cubs, and it'd be over that quick. Uh, I didn't see that coming. But, wow, what a story that would be for the Marlins to advance to the next round. One thing that I was looking forward to seeing this week was that the Cubs, the Brewers, the Cardinals, and the Reds, all making the postseason, but all were bottom 10 in a lot of offensive categories. In some cases, they were towards the very bottom in some. And my thinking was, it's one of two things. Either the offenses really aren't that good, or because the pitching was so good. the, The Reds had great starting pitching. The Cubs had Darvish and Hendricks. The Cardinals had... Really good pitching up and down. Uh, even the Brewers had a good 
top-heavy rotation and a great back end of the bullpen. And even when you look over into the American League, well, the Indians had really good pitching. The Twins had good pitching. So was it either the offenses were really bad or the pitching was just so good that it suppressed the numbers over the course of 60 games? And then the Reds didn't score against the Braves. Right. And then the Cubs put up one run in their first game against the Marlins. And even the Brewers didn't score very often against the Dodgers. Really, the only team that has come up offensively are the Cardinals. So maybe the offenses were just that bad. You might be right. Well, the the Cubs, is they're the one team for me, Brian, that I said they disappointed me with their offense in terms of they should have more production. But they're big bats. They just haven't figured it out. Baez had, by some metrics, the worst offensive year in baseball. And that is wild to me. And I'm really interested to see where he goes from here. Like what, how his offseason is and if he can correct himself next season. He, the thing with him, with me, from watching him, I mean, when he's going right, everything works, right? But when he's off, you're going, what are you trying to hit the ball out of the park every time? And he swings at bad pitches. He's got a bad approach. Everything about him looks terrible. But when he's on, you're going, yeah, just you can't get him out. Um, he he is an enigma to me from that standpoint. But when he's on, gee whiz, you can't you can't get him out. And it's uh, it's been interesting. Rizzo has always been a guy who's killed the Cardinals. So when other people get him out, I just go, how is that possible? I mean, there are times when. The Cardinals practically hit him on a pitch inside, yeah. and he's just crushing it over the wall. Uh, Schwarber is a guy who has also had good success against the Cardinals. Brian has been dealing with injuries. When I see them struggle against other teams, I just scratch my head and go, well, how come the Cardinals can't figure that out, right? I mean, <laughs> it's not that easy, but that that occurs to me a lot. Uh, interesting, with the lineup today, real quick for this game, Baez is batting seventh. In their lineup. It's Hap, Rizzo, Contreras, Schwarber, Bryant, Hayward, Baez, Bodie, and Caratini. That's the lineup that uh, Ross is going with. That says a lot when you have Baez all the way down to seven. Ross did a very interesting thing in game one um, where it used to happen here every now and again. He went (laughs) with the run prevention lineup in a really close game. It was one to nothing when he um, removed Kyle Schwarber for Billy Hamilton and you know, I understand the thought process, but also, really, one nothing. You think the game's over at that point? Now, like that's how you're going to try to win the game. You're going to try to yeah. win this game one nothing by removing, you know, one of your better power bats and inserting a guy who strictly is in there for defense. And what happened that very next half inning? The Marlins put up five runs, and now all of a sudden you're scrambling for ah more offense and a team that's struggling to score yes. runs on top of that. Yes. Elsewhere throughout Major League Baseball, the uh, Tampa Bay Rays are very good, and the Blue Jays are ascending, but not there yet. So that's how you got a, a yeah. two-game sweep. I've kind of said this openly in the past. I don't get excited watching the Rays play. I, I I know what they do. I respect who they are. They got a lot of young talent. They just find guys and plug them into spots, and they win. But this Rays-Yankee series... Uh, that's like the worst scenario for me from a baseball fan because I'm not a big Yankees backer. I can respect who they are and what they've been. But a raised Yankees series, I'm like, eh, okay, maybe we'll hopefully there's another game going on. But they're two really good, solid teams when you look at their rosters. I mean, from that standpoint, I should be excited. I just am not excited about that situation. I don't know why. Really? I, I, I'm i just going, eh, okay, well, maybe there's another series going on. And I don't know why. It's huh. just a turnoff from those two franchises. Part of it may be because watching, and they won't be playing at the race park, but watching a game at where the race play, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like playing in a morgue. It really is bad baseball while watching it in that park. There's no aesthetic value. I go, that's pretty cool. No, it's not. That's brutal. It's awful. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but you're right about the race. They were just too good. They are a good baseball team. Got to give the Jays some credit though. Yeah. Everything they went through, they're playing in Buffalo for crying out yes. loud. And they persevered. And that group, they start getting some better, you know, some good young arms to go with that lineup. Look out. They're going to be a handful in that division. Elsewhere in the American League, the Yankees sweeping the Indians 2 nothing. I think the Indians are a cautionary tale for, and maybe even the, the guess you know what? The Cubs and the Indians are great examples of cautionary tales where 
don't overestimate the window and don't don't yeah. expect that window to be open forever because that that game seven even after that world series you thought the cubs are going to be here for a long time and the indians are primed to, to be here for a long time and, and since then the cubs won one series they were eliminated in the wild card they missed the postseason and they're facing elimination in about 10 minutes yeah. in, in Chicago. The Indians, since then, I don't believe have won a series. And they've missed the postseason, and they were promptly eliminated by the Yankees just the other night. Uh, just don't. And really, after the season, you know, the Indians might be looking to trade Lindor after they traded Clevenger, after they traded Bauer. And the Cubs might be, lo- might be looking to move Chris Bryant. They might be looking to see what the market is, maybe on a Contreras. Or, and, you know, they might be yep. looking to move on from some of their core players as well. It's just... When that window's open, you better win because that the what-ifs pile up fast and the window closes fast. Yeah, the Indians, they're having to sell off the assets, like you said, so they're almost looking at a rebuild with real quickly, especially with other teams in that division like the, the White Sox and the Twins ascending. I think Detroit's going to be better. They proved they were a little better. They, they got a ways to go, but good luck in that division uh, moving forward. And then said that Cubs situation, I mean, everybody – Swore up and down. Joe Madden might win two or three world championships with that group. They're awesome. He's got all. He's pressing all the right buttons. They're happy go luck. Oh, well, wait a minute. Joe's gone. Well, let's try David Ross. Uh, we're still not overly great. Let's. Well, maybe we got to move some guys. John Lester's getting old. There's a lot of problems there in Chicago moving forward. A lot of questions, I should say. And kind of in the same category as Toronto, you had the White Sox, the team that. Arrived maybe a wee bit early than you expected, but they dropped their game three yesterday to the Oakland Athletics. But Athletics-Houston Division Series matchup fun, and the White Sox are a team that you think with maybe another piece or two that they can add will might be that next team in the American League Central. I think if the Sox get one more veteran to galvanize that group, that could be very strong for them. This, the, the A's-Astro Series will be interesting because the two sides do not like each other. I know there was a statement made in the final week from somebody in the A's organization said, you know what? We wouldn't mind playing the Astros in the first round. We'd love to knock them out. And you know that got back to Houston, and you know that'll be part of the series moving forward. There's a lot of gamesmanship to, to be played through that. I'm, I'm looking forward to that part of it yeah, playing itself out, that's for sure. So we have the American League Division Series all set, the Rays and the Yankees and the Astros and the Athletics and Rays-Yankees, I think, will be fascinating because you have a team in the Yankees who are playing really good baseball, but they lost 8 of 10 to Tampa during the regular season. They have their number. Yep. That's a, there's a lot to be said for not being intimidated by the pinstripes. Uh, that is so true. Uh, I think that's part of what we talked about with the Twins. They play them year after year and get beat by them. Eventually you go, yeah, here it comes again. I don't think the Rays have that. That's a great point uh, made by you. I that makes it that much more interesting, but for me, it's going to be painful watching that series. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim, uh, we got a little this day in history for you before we wrap up the show. I have a few things for you. Let's go with our audio portion of our this day in history. We'll start in 1968. I don't think I need to tell you what this is all about. Gibson has tied the record of Sandy Koufax. 15 strikeouts in a single World Series game. Trying for number 16 right now against Cash to break the record. He takes his set position. He delivers. Here's a pitch. Swing and a miss. He did it. 17 strikeouts sets the record by Bob Gibson on this day, most in a single game in a World Series play. It Ironically, it was uh, breaking the record of Sandy Koufax from 1963, who also on this day won his, in 1966, won his 27th and final game of his career for Koufax. So they're kind of linked wow. in a weird way on the same day. I thought that was uh, real interesting. Also, 2011, Cardinals, Phillies. It's a National League Divisional Series game. It was a wild one in which the Cardinals defeated the Atlanta Bra- or the uh, Philadelphia Phillies five to four. Cardinals had their ace going, kind of like today, right? Yeah. Well, the ace wasn't very good that day as he only threw three innings, gave up five runs, four earned. But the Cardinals come back and win the game over the Phillies 
five to four on this day in history. Now, we also know that later on in game five, Carpenter would pitch maybe the best game of his career. But a little just irony that today the Cardinals have their best pitcher going, but back on this day in 2011, the Cardinals beat Cliff Lee, who wasn't very good as well on this day, and the Cardinals went on to defeat the Phillies in that series. I still uh, say that's one. Uh, obviously, the Cardinals go on in 2011, but just getting that over that hurdle, the Phillies, who had won 102 games that year, I didn't see that one coming, and the Cardinals no. took care of business there. That was probably the game where what made me think that they could do it. You're right. Beat the Phillies. When they are down 4 nothing early and came up with five unanswered runs, that made you think, well, maybe it's a little more even than, than you expected it to be, and he ended up uh, taking it the whole way through. Uh, Jim, before we uh, depart this weekend, you already gave your prediction for the uh, the Cardinals and the Padres. What about the other National League series that remains? Do the Marlins, uh, do they finish it off this afternoon, or is there going to be baseball tomorrow on the north side? I just got a feeling the Marlins are just going to take care of business. They're not phased by much. I don't think they realize what they're in. They're just going to go out and win. Sixto Sanchez just might stick it to them and shut them down completely. And that'll be the difference, and the Marlins find a way to win this game. Uh, it might be the defense of the Cubs that breaks down somehow, some way. It leads to a run or two, and that's the difference. I think the Cubs might get upset here. All right. Well, I guess we'll have another fun day of baseball here today. Starting at 1 o'clock, you'll have a gap, and then you'll have one more starting at 6. Cardinals and Padres. First pitch, 6 o'clock. We still don't know who is pitching for the Padres in this game. It's expected to be a bullpen game, but... The actual names attached to those bullpen members have not been defined yet, but at least if you're the Cardinals, worst case, absolute worst case, is if your season does end, at the very least, you went down with the guy you believe is your best starter. You get Jack Flaherty on the mound in a winner-take-all game, the same situation that you faced last October in Atlanta, which I guess maybe we can just hope for 10 more runs in the first inning to put our anxiety to rest early. If it goes well, Mike Schilt's a genius, right? Yep. Because on Monday it was like, you're really taking the chance and not even throwing your best pitcher? Well, the flip side is you have the biggest, most important game, and you do have your best pitcher going. So you might have to give him a little more credit as this thing moves. So you're shaking your head no? No, something else I'm shaking my head. Oh, okay. Something unrelated. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it's, uh, he, he has pushed a lot of the right buttons. What, I don't know what's going on with the hitting right now, but it's working. Let's hope it works for one more day because I think they're going to need a lot of runs today. If the Cardinals win tonight, they will play Tuesday in Arlington against the Dodgers. If not, the search for a bat uh, commences for this offseason for, uh, for St. Louis. So we'll see where it goes from here. Enjoy the baseball. That's uh, starting in about two minutes. And, of course, enjoy the game tonight. Thankfully, it's a Friday. So you can, if it's a long, late game, maybe you're off tomorrow and you can sleep in a little bit. And it's a 6 o'clock start. And if the game is really awful, you can just go to bed and forget it ever happened. This is uh, for Jim Hewer, for Bob Ramsey. I am Brian Hoffman. This has been 590 Baseball on 590 The Fan and 590TheFan.com.